chapter 3, and I want to give you a thought for tonight, and I pray God will use it to be an encouragement to you, and like the preacher said, I'm going to drive home tonight, and uh, look forward to getting home for a day, and then getting out, uh, I'll be in Georgia again next week in Cochran, Georgia, and you say, where is that? I say, I don't know, I hadn't talked to my GPS yet, but it's in Georgia, and I'm looking forward to uh, I'm preaching in this state again, praying God will do something in these days. I know this, we don't have time to waste or services to play at, and I'm praying tonight, God to help us. Exodus chapter 3, Brother Simpson, it's been good to be with you, and I'm honored to preach with you these days and praying for you as well in your ministry. All right, Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1, here's what the Bible said. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now that already helped me right there, because right here it tells us that Moses married into a hillbilly family. I mean, it's right there in your Bible. His father-in-law's name's Jethro, and he probably had a granny. Uh, anyway... Y'all are wicked, wicked, wicked. I just heard somebody else say it. Is that, what is that, a show? I don't even know. Um, the, priest of, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Tonight, I want to draw your attention to verse number two, and this bush that is on the backside of the desert, on a mountain in Midian, a desolate region, an arid land, but it's that bush that will really pivot the life of Moses. The Bible tells us that this bush, as Moses looks on the mount, up on the mountain, wasn't like every other bush. There was something that set it apart. There was something that made it unique. There was something that made it attractive. The Bible said this bush burned. And from this burning bush is birthed the Moses that we know. I want to say this. I think it was imperative in the plan of God that that bush be on fire. On fire at that moment. On fire on that mountain. But most of all on fire for Moses. Tonight, I want you to understand that God has planted us for such a time as this, where he has planted us. And we are not there just to be like every other cold, dead, fireless bush. But I believe tonight it would benefit somebody that watches our life if you and I would just stay on fire for God. I could give you a thousand reasons why it's hard. I give you a thousand reasons why we could probably say, you know what, we might as well quit. But I'll tell you this, when we see Jesus face to face, it will be worth it to not give in, to not change, and to not cool off. And I want to preach on this thought for just a few minutes tonight. Stay on fire for your Moses. Stay on fire for your Moses. God, I pray for your power, please. This one last time in this meeting, I need you, and I pray you'd help me to, to, to be used of you, and I pray that you'd encourage these people tonight, all these Sunday school teachers, all these mothers and fathers, these preachers, these good Christian people. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to resolve by the grace of God that we'll not let our fire go out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God works in mysterious ways. I mentioned the other night that the Bible tells us God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what you and I cannot even hope to accomplish in dream, God can do easily in reality. But I would say one of the most magnificent things about God is this. God often does extraordinary things through 
ordinary things. God will use weak things to confound that which is mighty. God will use base things to mess up that which is exalted. God will take the lowest of the low and use them to do remarkable things for his glory. I think about it like this. Mount Sinai was just another mountain until God chose to meet with Moses and speak to him there. Bethlehem was just a small Judean town until its silent night was interrupted by that baby born not for the cradle but born for the cross. The Jordan River was just a muddy stream until the day that Jesus waded into its water and was baptized beneath the flow. The road to Damascus was just another old road until that day the man Saul of Tarsus had a head-on collision with Jesus and was saved by the grace of God. The Isle of Patmos was just another island until on that island John received the revelation. What I'm saying tonight is this. God often calls notable things out of nothing. God does great things through the least of things and God can do the esteemed through that which the world would say is every day. Now when I think about God and God working, my mind often weaves a web of miraculous things. I think about strong winds and a booming voice. I think about the Red Sea parting and God sending fire down from heaven. I think about God doing things that you step back and just stare at in awe. But tonight I want you to know that sometimes God will do His greatest work through an ordinary bush that just stays on fire. Here in Exodus chapter 3, we go to the backside of the desert. The text sets us down in the land of Midian. It's about 117 miles away from the Hebrew nation who is suffering in hard bondage under Pharaoh. The scene opens up at the base of a mountain called Mount Horeb. And it offers us a seat as Moses tends to the flocks of his father-in-law. Now there's a very powerful lesson we can learn in the chapter. When we're first introduced to Moses in the text, Moses is simply a son-in-law. Moses is simply a shepherd. Moses is simply a man in the shadows of nowhere serving over that little flock. But what I like is by the end of the chapter, Moses has been called by God, commissioned to lead, and made the deliverer of a nation. What I like about that is this. Don't you despise the small position. And don't you cuss the shadow. And don't you think you're too big for the little post. Because it is the shadow that can eventually illuminate the spotlight. I promise you this, anybody that has any kind of a platform you envy didn't start out there. They started out on a street corner preaching in a nursing home down at the rescue mission. They were cleaning the carpets or scrubbing the toilet. But I tell you what God does. God will bless somebody that has a heart humble enough to serve and he'll take that one who's faithful in the least of things and set them over great things. So I say that to say this. Keep on serving where you're at. Don't be jealous. Don't be looking to advance. Don't seek to climb the ladder. Just be faithful where God has planted you and God will exalt you as he sees fit in his time. Amen. Here in verse number two, we begin this story about a simple little bush that burned with a supernatural fire. I want you to see what it said. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked to me, oh, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not 
consumed. Now imagine, a bush burning in the desert was nothing noteworthy. The bushes in the desert burned all the time. The sun was hot, the sand was dry, and no doubt Moses had seen a bush on fire before. But there's something about this bush that catches his attention. He had passed by it maybe a hundred times. It had been on that mountain, who knows how long. But on this day, it caught his eye. As Moses looks up on that mountain, he sees this little bush. He looks up and it's on fire. No doubt its light was brighter. Maybe the heat from the fire was hotter. It was very alluring as he watched the flame dance across the branches. And Moses went to tend the sheep. He looked back up on the mountain and that bush is still burning. He goes back to the sheep. He looks up again and the bush is still burning. He looks up a little later and the bush is still burning and it begins to intrigue Moses. He thinks I gotta go check this thing out. By now it should have been turned to ash. By now it should have gone out. But that bush is still on fire. Can you imagine how how how, how interesting that would have been? How intriguing that would have been? It would have piqued the interest of Moses as he noticed that little bush didn't burn like every other bush. It didn't burn for a moment and fizzle out. It didn't burn for a time and grow dim. It didn't just burn for a little bit and then vanish off. It was burning and then burning and then burning and then burning and Moses had to figure out why. Now here's what I like. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the bush burned before Moses saw it. It doesn't tell us how long it burned after Moses left the mountain. It doesn't even tell us about the effect that fire might have had on the bush. All we know is God put that bush on fire for a purpose. He put that bush on fire at a certain point in time and he put that bush on fire for a person. I think we can say it was imperative in the plan of God that that bush not lose its fire or let the flame die out. You think about the fire in that bush. It wasn't natural. It wasn't normal and it wasn't comfortable. I mean no other bush was burning like that bush. No other bush wanted to be a bush on fire but God set that bush on fire so that from its flame the world could get a Moses. A deliverer came out of that fire. A leader came out of that fire. A preacher came out of that fire. A man came out of that fire. And I say it was so important. More than words could ever say that that bush stay on fire for Moses. Now let me apply it and we'll get to the text. Every week of the world. God has privileged me to travel the country like these other preachers and to preach in churches that are filled with ordinary, usual, backside of the desert kind of people. To the world, they're nothing special. To the world, they're nothing noteworthy. Nobody would step back and look and say, they've got something I admire. But can I say to some Moses out there that is wandering through an empty land and a desolate region, you might be the most important thing that God ever planted in the pathway of their life. What I'm saying is it's never alright and it's never okay and there's never an opportune time for a Christian to quit on God or to grow cold or to just kind of cash it in. I say tonight, somebody tonight needs your fire. You've got a child that needs your fire. You've got a spouse that needs your fire. You've got a church that needs your fire. We've got a world out there that needs our fire and I know it's hard and I know it's dark and I know there's a lot of reasons to quit but God's 
been too good. God is too faithful. The Holy Spirit's alive and well. And listen, we have all of heaven to gain. Time is short. The work is great. Hell is hot. There's sinners to be saved. I'm telling you, it's not time for you and I to get dead. It's not time to dry up. It's not time to grow cold. It's not time to be a corpse for Christ. It is time to burn, baby, burn for the glory of God. The psalmist said, while I was musing, the fire burned. Fire represents the power of God and the purity of God and the presence of God. I like what the preacher said. He said, I get in the pulpit, set myself on fire, and folks come to watch me burn. What I'm saying tonight is this. If you thought about quitting, switch your thinking. If you thought about falling back, it's time to switch your thinking. If you thought about time to cash it in, it's not time yet. I say every person in this building and all those watching online, it is now more than ever imperative that you and I stay on fire for God. I love the Bible. One thing I love about the Bible is it's a record of people finding the will of God and doing it. And if ever we found a record of discovering the will of God, it's in Exodus 3. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, Moses finds the will of God. But I'm not talking about Moses. I'm talking about a bush. You say, but that bush is an inanimate object and the inanimate is insignificant. Oh yeah, maybe so. But the inanimate is not insignificant when an animate God takes up residence within it. There was a day when that bush didn't matter. But when God moved in, that bush mattered. You saw my, you study it out. That bush was like an old ugly bramble. It wasn't a rose of Sharon. It wasn't a lily of the valley. It wasn't a cedar of Lebanon. I mean, it had been scorched by the sun and scarred by the sand and bent by the wind. You'd not look upon it and say how beautiful. You wouldn't want it for your Lord's supper table. You wouldn't plant it in your landscape. It was ugly and stuck on the backside of nowhere. Oh, but happy day when God took up residence within it. It was insignificant before, but not now. It's not significant because of its beauty, but the beauty of the one who's burning on the inside. And now that day when God came on the inside, all of a sudden that bush became a beacon and a billboard for the voices glory of God. I'll say tonight I'm preaching to a lot of people that the world would say you're not much to look at. Y'all don't really matter. Your bank account doesn't impress us. Your beliefs are a little bit fringe and fanatical. A bunch of old broken lies. Yeah, that's what we used to be. And I know I am and of myself insignificant. But there was a day, thank God, when I got saved by His marvelous grace. When that big animate God took up residence in the branches of my soul and set my life on fire for His glory and now all of a sudden those who didn't matter kind of matter those who are insignificant got some significance not because of your branches but because of the one that burns on the inside and what I'm saying tonight is this I beg you not to quit on God every Sunday school teacher keep burning every preacher keep burning every parent keep burning don't you give up on God stay on fire for Moses Let me give you three quick things Moses represents in the text. Number one, Moses represents a name that God might call. Look at verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him into the midst of the the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now think of this. The fate of a nation is changed that day by simply calling a name. From the burning branches of that ugly old bush, God speaks. And God calls out Moses by name. 
That was not the first time that a Moses had been called. But that is the first time Moses had heard the voice of God call his name. And what I thought was interesting is this. God did not use a cold bush. God did not use a dead bush. God did not use a bush with no fire. But it was from that bush that burned that God chose to speak. I say that to say this. The reason you and I cannot get cold on God and let our fire go out and give way to apathy is this. God has never used a dead Christian to call a Christian. God has never used a dead preacher to enlist a preacher. God has never used a bitter believer to enlist a believer to do something for God. And I say you need to stay on fire because who knows who it is that God might be working in their life and they don't need a head-on collision with another dead, half-baked, couldn't-care child of God. They need a Christian that is on fire. I thought about it. Saul was just a name until God called it. Peter was just a name until God called it. All the be green was just a name till God called it and you don't know who your kids are and I don't know who my son might be if God calls their name and I'm saying I want him to know that I love God and I want to serve God and it's the greatest life in this world so that he might see it's worth it all to get involved in this thing I've never seen anybody want to play baseball because of the fellows who strike out I've never seen anybody want to play football because the fellow who fumbles I've never seen anyone play basketball because the white boy who can't jump. But I tell you, get around somebody who's loving their sport and excelling in their game. I say, I want to be a slugger because of Babe Ruth. I want to dunk a ball because of Michael Jordan. I want to play football because of whoever it is that plays football. I mean, I want to do it because the way they do it. Same thing's true in the work of God. I've never seen a young man say, I want to be a preacher. After sitting under one of them limp-wristed, library and inside voice, no absolute on anything, get up there and apologize for God, act like he's halfway feminine in his old skinny jeans. I've never seen that in my life. But I tell you, get around some old leather lung man of God that knows what that book says, has been walking in the shadows with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. He gets in that pulpit and preaches. I don't know about you, but when I see that, I'll think, man, I want to do it too. Let me challenge you, don't you cave in to that cold crowd that likes to boast in their academia that has no life within it. I say, get around that bush that's on fire. Watch him burn your want to burn too. I've never seen a soul winner sign up to soul win being around some bitter, nagging soul winner. But they get around one who's on fire. It'll enlist another soul winner. I've never seen a Sunday school teacher birthed by a dead Sunday school teacher. But you get around a live one. It'll birth another one. And what I'm saying tonight is this. You don't know who it is. But I guarantee you there's someone that God's already looking at to call into the work of God. But if you and I get dead, why would they want to join the dead crowd? That's why I say stay on fire. I don't care if they cuss us. I don't care if they slander. I don't care if they rest quit. I want to burn for God if I can. There might be one young man tonight. There might be one young lady. There might be one family that God's wanting to get a hold of. And they need me to burn so God can speak. A name. Number two, he doesn't just represent a name. I like this. He represents a nation. Not just a name to be called, but a nation that's in the crisis. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. Now, wait a minute. As that voice begins to echo from within that burning bush, God gets to the point and reveals to Moses, Moses, this is bigger than you. 
This is bigger than this moment and it's bigger than the mountain. There is an entire nation race of people that are in great need of deliverance and I'm fixing to get them out of their bondage. I like it that bush burned and from that burning bush the nation of Israel got the deliverer that they needed. Their back was heavy laden with the whip of the taskmaster. They had the slime from the brickyard going up their legs. Everything about their life was hard and God heard their cry and that burning bush is about to enlist the answer to their problem. Tonight what I'm saying is if you would listen, you'd hear the devil take his whip and crack it across the back of our country. We can hear the devil take his whip and break it across the back of America as they legalize abortion and make it easier to get those things. We can hear that whip crap as dope is sold on every street in town. We can hear that whip crap as perverts parade down the streets of our city. We can hear that whip crap as the transgender movement targets your children. We can hear the the whip cracked as churches close every single day. And what I'm saying is you might not love America but I still love America enough to say if God will let me burn for my nation, I think it's still worth fighting for this country. I'm not a flag burning. I'm not a constitution denying. I'm not a I'm not. I'm not, I, I'm not a disrespectful sit down during the anthem overpaid sissy athlete. I still believe God would have us be on fire for this country. I'm not a missionary to China. I'm not a missionary to Africa and that's fine but God has called me to plant my flag and to fly it high right here and to let my kinsmen know that Jesus saves that sin has a cause but they can get in I tell you tonight I'm not giving up on America I don't care how many miles I gotta go how much gas I gotta burn how many tires I gotta buy I don't care how much hate we get from our culture I still think God can do something in this old hellbound nation if somebody just get on fire for God. It's the church that needs it. If you and I get on fire and burn, it might brighten up the blackness. I love America. I love our constitution. I love our military. I love our statues at north and south. I love our history. I love what God has done. I love the grace He's shown us from sea to shining sea. I'm glad amazing grace is more than our song. It's our heritage. I'm glad providence has guided us and mercy has surrounded us and grace has protected us. I'm glad in our nation we can pray and in our nation we can preach and in our nation we can attend the house of God. But I say as bad as it's getting, it's not time to tuck tail and run. It's a battlefield brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. You can run if you want to and run if you will. But by the grace of God I want to stand and stay. And I'm saying tonight somebody ought to stay on fire for our nation. I hear folks complain. I hear folks pout. I hear folks cuss about a America, but where's the intercessor? Where's the one who cares enough to be a prophet? Where's the one out there beating the bushes in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in? Tonight, let's not give up. I tell you, this city needs a church. Your state needs a church. Our nation needs a church, but not a dead one and not a compromising one and not a not one with messed up doctrine, but one that believes the book and those who God is. Our nation needs our fire tonight. I love our country. I love it when I see those old veterans from Vietnam and before and they still wear their hat. Vietnam veteran. Or World War II, some of them are still around veteran. Korean War. Desert Storm. Iraqi Freedom. 
I dare say this, those men and then women did not shed their blood on sandy beaches, dark waters, dense jungles, foxholes, foreign fields, so that you and I'd let America go to hell in our own neighborhood. If they can dodge bullets, amen, and traverse minefields and be away from their family to fight for your freedom, surely you and I can take a little heat to lift high the blood-stained banner and let them know, hey, if Jesus makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I fear for our country as we send all of the missionaries to foreign fields and now foreign fields are sending missionaries to America. I fear for our country especially in Appalachia where I'm from and down through the south where we have all these little country churches littering the landscape, but they're just as dead as the cemetery out back. They've got pews and a pulpit but can't find a preacher. And then we got all these young men, we've talked about it this week, go off to Bible college and all they want to do is be some media director somewhere. Nobody wants to man a pulpit. I say somebody's going to have to get it deep down on their gut that God is still God and He's still doing a work in this day. And I say, everyone, you say, well, if I go there, I'll only run 20. Hey, neighbor, that's 20 more than you're running right now. And I say, oh my, those 20 people need a preacher and their kids need a preacher and their grandkids will need a preacher. And I say, we ought to just get on fire for this country. God help us to get a burden. We'll cuss about our president and get mad about an election and won't even attend a prayer meeting and won't go pass out a gospel track. I'm just saying it's not time to get cold on America. Help us stay on fire for a nation. Number one, Moses represents a a name. He represents a nation. Number three, I like this one. Moses represents a next generation that's coming. Look at verse 15. After God reveals to Moses, he said, I am the I am. Verse 15 said, And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, Now watch this, The God of Abraham, The God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob, Hath sent me unto you, This is my name, And I like the phrase, Forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. What is this burning bush doing? This burning bush is simply the megaphone that God speaks through. But God is revealing to Moses, Moses, this ain't just about you. And it's not just about Israel right now. He said, I'm going to be God for you and I'm going to deliver them. But I also want to be God for your children and God for their children and God for their children and God to their children. I'm not just God today, but I'm going to be God tomorrow. And I think about that, all those Israelites that would come later and then you and I tonight who've been grafted in by grace. You know, we're all, we're all the fruit of that little bush that burned on that mountain because from that bush came a Moses that proclaimed to the people that God is the I am and God is their memorial from generation to generation. And that truth has been passed down and passed down and passed down and there were youngins going to be born that were going to need that moment on that mountain before they ever even drew a breath. Here's what I'm saying. Like a sledge that would drive a spike deep into stone. May God drive this truth down in your heart that one of these days you and I will no longer be here. If Jesus stays as coming we'll go the way of all flesh. But there's some little ones tonight who are in these pews and there's some little ones tonight yet to be born that God knows all about, that are going to need some old-time religion in their day, and a King James Bible, and a preacher, and a choir, and a Sunday school. And if you and I quit today, they'll have nothing tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Boy, I'm burdened about that. 
The reason we cry out so hard against compromise is because compromise will steal everything away from the next generation. While the generation that compromises enjoys the carnality, the following generation reaps the bitter fruit of it. A selfless generation built these works that we enjoy. And now a selfish generation is ruining it for another generation. All, listen, this is what I've talked with older preachers. They said that God seems to give us some restrainers in every generation that just kind of hold darkness at bay. They just stand there. And they're hated, usually. J. Frank Norris. Hated. I mentioned Lester Roloff, but they hated him. Right? I mean, you think about those men who'd thunder. I mean, just stay straight and stand there and hold it at bay. But had they not been willing to do that, we wouldn't have anything. The reason it's important that you shout is because when you shout, you're training your kids to shout. The reason it's important to go to prayer meeting is when you go to prayer meeting, you're teaching your kids about prayer meeting. We don't just do what we do for us. We do it to train them. Amen. The reason we sing the songs we sing is because we're training the young people that those songs work. Because we want them to have something in their day. You think about the heritage of this church, the man of God that was here before your pastor. And it's like that in a lot of churches. There was a great man. And thank God, the reason you have what you have tonight is because men have been willing to stand in that gap and hold it at bay. And sometimes it's not easy. I'm sure there's a lot of folks who say, well, let's just give in here and change there. And then there'd been nothing left for us tonight. What I'm saying is this. we got to stay on fire for another generation. If Jesus doesn't come back, they need a church to go to. They need a choir to sing in. Amen. Hey, they're going to be the piano players and the Sunday school teachers and some of these young men, the preachers of another generation. Let me give you an illustration. Watch this. My, my grandpa was a coal miner in West Virginia, graduated from the coal mine because he lied about his age to join the Navy, went to Pearl Harbor at age 16, came back and worked at a plant, worked a little while, got some money, and got it out of the holler in Boone County, West Virginia, and built him a brick house. He's so proud of that. He said, I built that with my own hands. Built a brick church right down the road from that brick house. Lived in that house their whole life. My grandpa was a country fellow, always had a garden. And in West Virginia, there's no flat land, so the gardens are like this. People always say, you got one leg shorter than the other? Yeah, what about it? But anyway, uh, Papaw is what we call him there, Papaw would sow that garden with tomatoes and green beans and uh, different things like that. And I hated going to his house in the summer because he just put us to work. They thought that was fun. You go get a five-gallon bucket, fill it up with beans, and bring it back, and then you sit there and string them. Pick tomatoes, <laughs> get corn and all that kind of And Papa would sit on his deck with his little twenty-two and pop rabbits all day long in that garden all year round. Remember that? But here's what they did. Mamaw got into this thing. Now, y'all will get this here. I, some places, she canned things. Y'all know what it is to can something? I remember her canning things and get that big old pot with the pressure thing on the top of it. I'm not really know how to do it all. I didn't hang around that part. But anyway, she'd can these vegetables. they take those green beans from the garden, put them in that whatever you do with them there, uh, right there beside the moonshine still, I, f- I think is where it was. But anyway, they'd get that, and they'd put it in that pot and then, and then pressurize it and put them in those little, like, mason jars, you know, and just seal it up. Then they had a cellar. 
and you go take those green beans or whatever it was and put it in that cellar. And then the thing about that is you could go open that can of green beans in the wintertime. It's like fresh from the garden. You can can deer meat. You can can scold. I mean, a lot of things go in there, and, and, we, and they would do all that. And anyway, that's just what they do. Uh, but my grandparents died. They're both in heaven right now. My brother bought their house. My brother was living in their house with his wife. She got pregnant. They had a baby. Mamma and Papa never got to meet the baby. All right, so listen. I went to AJ's house, my brother, and he said, you want to eat some supper? And I said, sure. By the way, Curtis Hudson was right. Dinner's what you eat at noon. Supper's what you eat at night. And lunch is what you carry in a brown paper bag to school. He said, you want to have some supper? I said, sure. He said, what do you want? I said, whatever you want. So he, he, he said, I'll go get some green beans. You know what he did? He went to the cellar. He got out some green beans that he did not have any part of planting. He brought those green beans up there, popped the top off those green beans, began to cook them. We sat there at the table, and now here's what I watched. Little Audrey, she's nine now, but she didn't even know Mamma and Papa. And she did not plow the field. She did not sow the seed. She did not pick the beans. She wasn't there for the spankings we got for not helping string them. She wasn't there for nothing. I watched her pop a green bean in her mouth. You know what she was doing? She was enjoying what they had preserved. They had enough foresight to plow and to plant, to water, to keep it safe, and then save it, can it. They didn't even know she was going to exist. But she got some nourishment from it in her day. Every time you come in here and say, amen, you just can something. Every time you go to an altar and the young people see you, just can something. Every time we preach the way we, I tell you what, we're trying to just preserve something. So that whenever we're gone, that they can come in there and open up that can and say, boy, I remember when, remember Preacher Gravely? Remember that old man? He died about 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Just whenever he's gone, he, boy, he'd preach hard, wouldn't he? Remember that? And they'll just talk about it. Remember that choir blowing it out? And they'll just they'll get that out of that can. It might encourage them to stay the course. What I'm saying is everything we do, we do it for them. And tonight, listen, you say, I think we might just back up a little bit. Please don't. Because one of these days, you're going to have a little grandkid. They're going to need church. Your children need a church. And those that we don't even know are going to exist. One, they're going to need church. And so all that we can, we'll plow. We'll plant and we'll water. God will give the increase and we're going to do our best to preserve it Amen. so that they can get something out of it in their day. Yes. I think about that. A lot of folks are changing and quitting and just getting apathetic. I just don't see where that's at in the Bible. Right. I want to challenge you to stay on fire tonight for God. If you've grown a little bit cold, I challenge you to come to an altar and ask God to rekindle your fire right. and help every person that has a position especially to give it our all for the glory of God. Because who knows who's around us, but there's a Moses out there somewhere. Bow your heads with me if you would. This is the simple thought to close, but I pray it's something that will stick with you tonight. Stay on fire for your Moses, a name, a nation, a next generation. There's so many needs tonight. I wonder if some families might come and pray. Some grandmas might come and pray. Some moms and dads might come and pray. Maybe some Christian folk just come and pray and say, God, please help me to stay on fire for you.
Lord, I pray that you bless this final invitation of our scheduled revival. I pray that you'd meet the need of the hour. Thank you for how you've worked. You've been so good to us. I pray in my own life you'd help me to practice what I preach. And I pray for this church and their pastor as well. Use them, God, as you already have, to be a burning bush in this area. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if tonight, if you'd come use this altar on this last night of revival, why don't we stand to our feet if you're able, as folks are making their way down. Many are coming. Uh, why don't you come too? Brother Sam will sing when he's ready. But if God spoke to your heart, would you come tonight?